directory and kind of counted. I had two columns. I had adults and I had children, and I, I, I didn't include those going away to college, so those, those are not in it. And uh, I, I came up with 75 adults and 80-plus children. So certainly there are, there are uh, churches with many more children than we have, but few are the churches with as high a percentage. We are half children, which means if you're here today and are 18 years of age, that would be Jared and Conrad, are you 18? No, you're 19. You're 18, Conrad? 19. You're in the upper half of the older part of the congregation. Welcome to the second half of life, if you will. <clears throat> now, with such demographics come a, a great blessing. I remember having a, a lunch with a couple pastors in Rockford, just trying to get to know them and their churches a little bit. And uh, one pastor told me that the average age in his congregation was 70 years old. And the other one said, 70. Well, our oldest, our average age is probably 80. And um, when I told them the makeup of our congregation, I'm sure that they both had a bit of envy. Because I told them about how we are, we are half children. Um, because people know the blessings that so many children come to the congregation. Even non-Christians. I talk to them about our church and tell them of the, the makeup of our church. They say, yeah, we're about half children. Um, they, they like uh, non-Christians, sometimes they got a church background, sometimes not. But a lot of times a church perception of them is just old people in a church someplace. And uh, that's not our, uh, it's not our uh, situation. And uh, typically even what they respond with is people who aren't Christians. Say, well, that's good because children are the future. And uh, indeed, children are the future of the church and I'm thankful for the, the children, this church, thankful for the, the future of the church that we're seeking to build, thankful for the joy that many children bring. I I'm, I'm feel blessed to pastor a church with so many children. But with such blessings come challenges. Proverbs 14.4 says this, Where there's no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Right? In other words, right? You, you can choose not to have any oxen and you'll have a clean manger. A clean manger. You'll have a clean barn. You won't have anything to clean up with. But you're going to have no crops as well. And so likewise, with applied to children, you might put Proverbs 14, verse 4 like this. Where there are no children, all is quiet. But joy and enthusiasm comes with a child. Because children bring noise and activity and enthusiasm and joy. In fact, one of the things that I often tell my mother-in-law when we go out to California, as most of you know that my wife's from California, and so summertime's for um, most every summer of our, of our married life, save one, we've gone out west to visit um, my in-laws. And so we're, we're out there, and, and I often have this conversation with Lola, Avon's mom. I said, Lola, you know, I can only imagine this place when we're gone. Um, it's clean. It's quiet, and it's not cluttered. And, and when we come in, we come like this hurricane of this brand. Here come the Brandons. All this activity and all this stuff and all this noise everywhere. And, uh, and I say, Lola, pretty soon we're going to leave. And it's going to be back to the way it was. And my guess is that you would want it no other way than for us to be here. Amidst all the noise, amidst all the chaos, amidst all the different stuff. There is, there is something exciting and encouraging and and um, blessing, right, that children bring. But children bring challenges, and I simply say this, I would want it no other way. No other way at, at Rock Valley Bible Church. 
But with so many children comes a further responsibility as well. As a pastor, I, I understand our demographic and realizing the good chunk of you are in the process of raising your children. Um, I have a responsibility to help you in that effort, and that's what we are seeking to do, hosting this event on Saturday called um, The Art of Parenting, 8.15 to 2 o'clock on Saturday. Uh, they should have these in your bulletin. There's a, a stack of them uh, out back. Um, and my aim for my message this morning is to convince you to come. Plain and simple. I have an action step. I'm going to try to convince you to come. Uh, so far, not many of you have signed up. So if uh, you're sitting there and you're saying, are we coming to that? Just maybe write your name on that, fold it up, and then give it to Tina or put it in the offering box. That would, be, that would work um, <clears throat> because we all need help when it comes to parenting. Um, furthermore, I just even convince you maybe to invite your friends, coworkers. So I know I've invited several neighbors to come. I've invited the families who come to Kids Club to come to this, personally invited them. And, and I hope maybe there are people in your life who you might in, invite to come and, and realize that there might be people in your life who maybe don't even have children yet. For them, it's perfect. You know why? Because they've never sinned against their children yet. They've never made one parenting mistake yet. And so even to be trained in this is, is helpful. Or, or those with older children will benefit from Saturday as well. If nothing else, to be able to confess your sins, your failures to your children. Maybe give you insight into helping your own children with their grand, raising the grandchildren. Even those who aren't Christians will be helped by this. Much wisdom. The gospel is clear. Um, so our event, we're going to be using the, the resource from Family Life Today, Art of Parenting. It's a curriculum, uh, a small group curriculum. Actually, if you come, you get a free book. Um, it's got some videos with it. it will, we're going to change the small group into a big church event to kind of blitz it out is what we're going to do. We're only going to get to half of it, by the way, so we'll probably have a, another one in the future depending upon how, um, how, it, how it's received. But what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to highlight the event. I just want to show you some different videos of what it's like to kind of give you a taste of what it's like because you want to invite someone to that. You want to get an idea of, of what it's like. Um, but it's also going to be edifying and encouraging for us as we see those. And so my message this morning is going to be totally different than normal. Normally we take a passive scripture, we land there, we stay there, we just open it up. Um, normally don't show many videos, but next time we'll be in Romans chapter 12, so we'll, we'll get there. But this curriculum is fast-paced, lots of vignettes, lots of uh, teaching stories, movie clips from the, the movie Like Arrows, and some of it's very funny. Uh, like, in fact, this, this first clip here is a, is a kind of a funny kind of clip. Just want to give you insight. Just it's not all this banging about teaching. Some of it has, um, has a light moments to that. So, Jared, if we can get that going would be great. Yep. And we can hit the lights, too. Someone could do that. The rules are simple. Michael, tell you, I was wondering. Right here, it's your sister in the back. Yeah, we'll take your sister. All right, what's your question, Beretta? Michael Jr., I was wondering why my middle school son does not like to do his homework. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I got this, I got this. Um, Because he's a middle school son. (laughs) I would be concerned if he was doing his homework every single day and loving it. In fact, I tell people all the time, if your son is like between the ages of 4 and 13 and he's taking a shower every day, you got problems. You got some issues. (laughs) But if he's not, like if he's keeping on the same underwear, it's all good. It's all good. Like homework. Homework. Uh, next question. Next question. All right, Kathy. All right, what's your question? Michael Jr., I was wondering, what is the key to raising healthy kids? 
You should feed them. <laughs> Vegetables. <laughs> going to go right there. That guy right there with the, the yes, you sir. What's your name? My name's Doug from Crystal Falls, Doug. Michigan. Doug, like the past tense of dig. <laughs> I'm not sure how to answer that. Just say yes. Yes. What's your question? Michael Jr., I was wondering what your feeling is on spankings. I'm a grown man. I don't get them no more, bro. <laughs> what is my feelings on spankings? Uh, I actually think it's I, I, I actually think it's a good thing. On the real. I mean that was a joke part, but on the real, I think it should I think it should happen. I think it should be very strategic though. I, I think it should only be up to like a a certain age, like right around 19, you got to stop that stuff. Okay, so those are some humorous aspects. And so, but it's not all humor. Um, there, there's some that are just downright cute. All right, here's a little kids on parenting. So here's our, our second video. How old is your dad? Like, how old do you think he is? 30. Oh, I no. 15. My dad, my dad 15. He can put his head on the fan, but he goes under so he can walk through. Because he's so old and he is. I'm like... 100. No. What's the naughtiest thing you've ever done? Draw on the wall. You drew on the wall? Well, that's not that bad. Yeah. But it's still a sin. It's a sin yeah. to draw on the wall. Yeah. So, it's in the Bible. Right? Because your parents will get mad. Jesus doesn't like that. Jesus doesn't like writing on the wall. No. Yeah. No. He wrote in the sand. Right? You can write your sand with a stick or your finger. So that's what Isaiah should have done. Instead of drawing yeah. the wall. Yeah. So I want you guys to raise your hands if you like discipline. What does that mean? You don't know what discipline is. I know what it is. Oh, uh, please um, tell us. It's when you get in trouble, when you're, like, fighting your sister or brother. Oh, yeah. Each time I go on timeout, even if I talk to my brother, Mommy just says, stop talking right now. I'm about to say that. <laughs> Do you think your parents know what they're doing? Yes. Most of the time. So, But do you think your parents know what they're doing raising you? They do? Yeah. Okay, give me an example. Because my mommy gives me food and so does my daddy. That's good. Food is good. They they know what they're doing to cook so they can know it's ready when the bell dings. Do you think your parents know what they're doing? They're probably watching us. They're probably watching you right now? And because they gave us a home to live in. Because they mm-hmm. take care of me whenever I'm sick. Because they were children and their moms teach to them. Yeah. That's a good answer. So some is humorous and some is cute. Uh, I love the, the statement. Do you think you know what your parents are doing? Do you think your parents know what they're doing? Well, yes, because they were children and their moms teached them. It's a cute response. But we do have uh, an instruction manual when it comes to to our kids and raising them. And, um, you know, this this is a help, too. So just to encourage you with that. Uh, we just have... Uh, uh, in fact, we're going to skip the third. You know, we'll, we'll do the third video. It's kind of a, a neat little deal about uh, Psalm 127. So you can open your Bibles if you want to, Psalm 127. And as you do that, can we play the third one there, Jared? Just... 
Psalm 127, Psalm 127, 3 through 5. Behold, behold, children are the heritage from the Lord. The heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. A reward. Like arrows, like arrows. In the hand of a warrior are, are the, the children, children of one's, one's youth. One's youth. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Who fills, who fills his quiver with them. Psalm 127, 3 to 5. Okay, at this point, the videos are going to slow down, all right? They're not going to be all, all rapid fire like that. But that last clip of uh, the guy making his arrow, crafting his arrow, is really the, that's the framework of the entire curriculum. It sees children as, as arrows, sanded and smooth, shaped and formed with a, a tip on the front and with feathers on the back to be shot out to impact the world. And this is how Psalm 127 sees children. Verse 4, if you look at it there, Psalm 127, verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Now, if we want arrows for us today, we simply go down to Gander Outdoors or we go to Cabela's or, or REI and we purchase a manufactured arrow made of aluminum or carbon fiber or fiberglass arrowheads made of steel and manufactured to perfectly fit on the shaft of the arrow. Uh, the fletchings on the back give it stability, are often made of plastic. And we just go down and drop a few dollars and we get an arrow. But not so in Bible times. They didn't have the luxury to produce, to purchase manufactured arrows. Uh, maybe they had someone who made them for them. Maybe they purchased them. But they, they made them one by one. And they knew the work that it took to make arrows fly well. One old Puritan said this, We know that sticks are not by nature arrows. They do not grow so, but they are made so. By nature, they are naughty and rugged, but by art, they are made smooth and handsome. So children by nature are rugged and annoying, but by education are refined and reformed, made pliable to the divine will and pleasure. And when it comes to raising children, it's, it's hard work, and they'll either be a blessing to you that, that fly well, or they will be a curse to you flying of course, as again, another Puritan said, well, does David call children arrows for if they are well bred, they shoot at their parents enemies. And if they're evil bred, they shoot at their parents. And how many parents, how many children hate their parents? One of the signs of sins in um, uh, Romans one. Children are raised well, and respond well. The teaching of the parents are, are blessings. Look there. Verse five says, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks of his enemies in the gate. He is blessed who has children. As it even says in, in, chapter, in Psalm 128, that your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The, the picture there is this, this root, this, this table just rooted with trees and around in the blessing of abundance. But the blessing here is, is public, that it says. He's going to be blessed, and he's not going to be put to shame. Speaking with his enemies in the gate, they're not going to have anything bad to say against him. See, when children submit their ways to the Lord, it brings benefits to their parents. Their parents won't be shamed. Their, their enemies can't say anything bad against them. In our prayer meeting today, Proverbs 22, verse 1, kind of, we just thought about that before we prayed. A, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. 
and the idea that is just the, the blessing of a good reputation. When people look upon you as faithful, dependable, then you'll be blessed. And so likewise, the blessing here comes when, when children are, are well Walking with the Lord, you're blessed and your enemies won't have anything bad to say. And so catch this, parents. It's to your blessing that your arrows are shot well. Realize that every benefit in the world is there for you if you just labor long and hard for the formation of your children. It will turn out in blessing for them. It will turn out in blessing for you. One of my favorite verses, as I think about child rearing, there's one verse that stands above all others. It's, it's 3 John 4. I have no greater joy than this than to, hear, than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Me as a parent, I have no greater joy than my, when my children are, are walking in the truth. That means that as they walk in the truth, that's not just being upstanding citizens, it's walking in the truth, understanding the gospel, embracing the gospel, walking rightly. As they are out there doing that, that, that's where my greatest joy comes in. And so parents, you can be utterly selfish in your parenting by parenting with a view to see your children walking in the truth because that's where your joy will come from and your distress will come when your children aren't walking in the truth. I know there's some people in our congregation who can say that as well. But aim for that, because walking in the truth is good for your children to know the blessings of God, and walking in the truth is good for you, because you will know the joy that that brings. But as Psalm 127 says, it all begins with trusting the Lord, it all begins with prayer, because ultimately it's the Lord who will build your house. Look at verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, unless the Lord watches over the city. The watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. See, there's no technique to guarantee the godly outcome of your children. Following the art of parenting and, and anything that's shared at this seminar on Saturdays, no promise your children will walk in the Lord. It's ultimately the Lord. It's he who builds the house, not you. There's no secret techniques that there are. It's trust and dependence upon the Lord. He's the one that builds your house. Now, I would say that that doesn't mean, well, just the Lord's job. It's not us. No, on the contrary, we make efforts. We direct our children to the Lord because we know full well Psalm 84 verse 11 says, The Lord God is the sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. And no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And children walking uprightly is a good thing. It's good for our children. It's good for us. It's a heritage. Verse 3 Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is, is a reward. There's a, a heritage. There's a reputation. There's a longevity. There's a reward that comes with children. So when it comes to raising our children, you think about what's the most important thing. And the art of parenting really starts right here. I think it's a great place even for us to, to start. So we think about what the most important thing is in raising kids. Okay, let's watch the fourth video. It says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. The arrows were divinely crafted, given to us to finish the job of shaping and crafting, to ultimately be aimed at a target and launched on their mission. It's a great privilege to be able to do that with our children. 
But our marriages have to be strong and be the shock absorbers in raising the next generation. Yeah, one of the things we learned through the early years of parenting is that we had to keep our marriage healthy and strong. It was real easy for us to become focused just on the kids and lose focus on each other and our marriage. And so we learned that it was important for us to keep our marriage a priority and not let our marriage and our family become child-centric. And that's really, really easy to do. One of the things we've said for years is your marriage must be built to outlast your kids. Because after the kids are gone, it's just you two. And I got to tell you, it's fantastic after 44 years. Now, there was a time when Darcy and I stood before some people and we married each other and we were basically making a commitment to start writing a love story. So love story is like a, a novel. It, it has chapters. Well, some, a chapter came along called Karis and then Cody and then Shiloh and Colt. And these four children became part of the story we were telling. But we knew for, for us to do the best we could for them, their story must always be in subordination to our story. As your kids grow, if they see or even sense, you know what? My mom and dad might love each other, but I'm the important one here. And mom will break with dad to meet my need. What's going to happen when they become adults? That track record is going to continue to their children. And that's harmful in the marriage. So after the children come, many times the mom is pouring into the child. Dad goes back to work a lot of times. He's prioritizing work. And a husband has to be very careful that he is not overly selfish and it's somewhat important for him to take a sacrificial attitude. But yet it's also important for the wife to remember the marriage is the bigger priority. So when we, we keep the priority in line and we say God first and marriage is the first earthly relationship that's the priority and right after that is the kids, it actually gives the kids security. They may not recognize that initially, but it will give them security to know they love each other through thick and thin, I will be loved. In a healthy marriage, creates the context for healthy parenting, which creates the context for happy kids. So if you want happy kids, swim upstream, work on good parenting, and swim upstream of that and work on a good marriage. Fundamental to all parenting is a healthy marriage. As healthy marriages produce healthy children, healthy partners make healthy parents. It's because home is the place where the gospel is preached. Turn, turn with me to Ephesians 5. This is the, the clearest, most direct passage in all the Bibles. It speaks about marriage. It's read at many weddings. It's really focused upon it. Say, times we think about marriage, it's it's right here. It speaks about the role of the, the wife, the role of the husband, and how their roles reflect Christ and the church. I know they're familiar, but they are helpful, and they do form the foundation for any parenting that we do. Ephesians 5, 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands... 
should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respect her husband. Real simple there. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Just the, the same way that it works there, there just even in the Trinity, where the, you see Christ even submitting to the Father. You see the Father loving the Son. You see mutual submission. You see obedience. You see just this love for one another. And, and, and that there even speaks about Christ's love for the church, Himself giving Himself up for the church. There's the Gospel. And one of my favorite quotes of all time comes from William Farley, Gospel-Powered Parenting. I've, I've read it before. I'll, I'll read it again. Because marriages preach, and they preach the Gospel. And if you think, hey, my kids are out of the home... Uh, you know, I'm done with my parenting. You're not. You're not done with your marriage. Your marriage will st- still continue to preach the gospel till the day you die, and will preach the gospel to your children. It's very important. Marriages that stay until the children are gone, and then disintegrate, lose impact. But it's when you're faithful for years that you demonstrate impact to your your children. Here's how the Christian marriage preaches the gospel. William Farley writes that it a Christian marriage either makes the gospel attractive or ugly. See, when a husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church, washing her with the word and forgiving her, serving her and tenderly leading her, his marriage says Christ loves his church. You can trust the groom. He is infinitely loving. Serve him. You won't be disappointed. And when a husband lovingly loves a menopausal wife or a premenstrual wife, his behavior says Christ loves the church even though she's sinful. His behavior tells his children, Christ loves his bride, even when she's unattractive. It says that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, even our failings. But when a husband is unfaithful to his wife, verbally belittles her, loves her children more than her, and takes her for granted, his marriage says, Christ's love is not that great. He loves us only when we perform. You can't trust this Savior. You can't meet His expectations. He doesn't keep His promises. Why serve a fickle despot? His deeds say many things can separate us from the love of Christ. And wives also preach. When mom joyfully submits to her husband as to the Lord, recognizing that he is her head as Christ is the head of the church and that she is his body as the church is the body of Christ, it makes an attractive statement. When she does this for an unworthy husband... Not because she trusts him, but because she trusts Christ to care for her, it points her children to Christ. Her behavior says, Christ is trustworthy. It says, the Son of Man is infinitely good. You can trust him. My father is imperfect, but mom trusts Christ to take care of her. If she can trust Jesus this way, I can also. But when a wife tells her children to obey Christ, but doesn't trust him enough to take care of her relationship with her imperfect husband, but seeks to control him, resists his authority, refuses to respect him, and declines to serve him, her actions speak loudly. They say, the Son of God cannot be trusted. He promises to exalt the humble, but I don't believe that he will exalt me. He says he will take care of those who submit to lawful authority, but I don't really believe that. If I don't take care of myself, who will? In most cases, her children will internalize what she does and not what she says. 
And there's the gospel. You, you preach it. Moms and dads, you preach it the way you live and act and respond to your husbands or your wife. And, and when the gospel is central in a marriage, kids learn. They learn from the example of their parents, especially as it works itself out in marriage. And one of the most devastating things in a marriage is when the gospel's not preached, but also one of the devastating things is a hypocritical home. It's kind of where, where this marriage thing goes next. It, it, this, this first scene comes from a movie like Arrows that Family Life Today put out, and maybe some of you saw it, and uh, kind of focuses upon how, how you need to be authentic in the home. So here's the next video. Your son is watching you play that game. Can you take him in the other room with you? I, I have to run out of the bath for Kate. Can you not just pause your game and please deal with him? Hey, boy, why don't you go put your pajamas on and brush your teeth, and I'll, I'll come pray with you in a minute, okay? Why? Because it's time to go to bed. Why can't I just watch for a few more minutes? Buddy, this is a grown-up game, okay? I told you that before. Now, please, you got to go to bed. Son, go to bed now, please. Honey. Charlie, cannot believe you. Come on. I think the greatest thing you can do for your kids spiritually to teach them is for us, the parents, to walk with God. Live it. And I think that our kids, they're not listening to us as much as watching us. Your children learn far more from your actions than they ever will learn from your words. Grown-up games and grown-up movies will simply teach children, oh, I can't wait till I'm old enough so I can do that. The wife who never reads her Bible will teach her daughters the same. The husband who prioritizes work above all will teach his son to do the same. The wife who complains at everything that comes along the road will teach his daughters the same. See, so things that are true and genuine in your life, you'll pass on to your children. And... Mere external religion, which is oftentimes tried to pass on to your, your children, is, is not sufficient. Because hypocrisy in the home will destroy any religion you want. And, and much of that has to do with what you're aiming for. If your aim with your children is external obedience or to, to look good on the outside, that, that the sort of religion that shows up for church each Sunday, that offers the formal prayers before meals, the sort of religion that gets mad at everyone else's sin... If that's the sort of religion you're aiming at, then hypocrisy works pretty well. It's just put on a face. But if you're aiming for obedience of the heart, the heart that, that loves God and longs for Him, the, the heart that seeks for the Lord, and, and even when nobody's watching, the heart that sorrows over his own sin, if that's the heart you're aiming for, 
hypocrisy in the home will never achieve it because God is aiming after the heart. That, and that's what we need to aim with our children. We need to aim for their heart. Like Ted Tripp, whatever, 25 years ago, wrote a great book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. Proverbs 4.23, out of the heart flow the issues of life. And so you, you aim for the heart of the children, not just mere external obedience. That's always been the Lord's desire. The, the great passage from Deuteronomy 6, the Shema passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons. When you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. And the command is really simple. Right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Jesus called that the greatest commandment. As it works itself out, to love God, it means it's in your heart first, and then it's in your home. When raising our children, it's God's word on our foreheads and on our hands. It's there and it's dripping out of us. And our aim should be that God's word is, is in the heart, not just mere externals, in the heart to change us from the inside out. That's the promise of the new covenant. It's the promise of Jesus coming is that the, God's word will be on our heart and we want to obey because the Lord is our God. Jeremiah 31, 33 and 34. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. It's a glorious picture of the gospel. God's word on our heart that God promises to put inside of us and on our heart. So we don't have to say, hey, know the Lord, because we know the Lord. Because there's a heart and a passion for the Lord. And furthermore, it's that God would be our God. And, and the idea there is not that he's some, some authority figure out there, but he's some family figure with us, ruling and reigning over us as a loving father does, one who's close and cares for us. That's one of the things art of parenting is really aiming for. It's aiming for our hearts. Now, of all the clips I'm showing you, this next clip is condensed. It's, it's really talking about what it is that we're aiming to do with their children and their hearts. So after I finished working on VeggieTales, I uh, was kind of looking back and, and started to wonder, did I just spend 10 years trying to convince kids to behave more Christianly without teaching them Christianity? So when I sat down to do something new, I realized rather than just focusing on the outcomes of Christianity, I needed to focus on Christianity and say, what does it mean to walk with Jesus? And how does that change you from the inside out? And as parents, that's how we have to look at our, our kids. Our goal isn't behavior modification. Our goal isn't just morality. Morality is an, an outcome. But the goal we're looking for is transformation, spiritual formation, not just information. I think it is very possible for Christian parents who are really concerned about the world shaping their kids and they really want to be intent on discipline. We can end up being too controlling. We can think that 
if we just get the discipline right, that somehow we will end up with the product that we desire and we become not really gospel parents, but behavior-centric parents. There will be some overlap with any you know decent people in the world who want their children not to be addicted to drugs and run amok and steal things and shoot people, of course. But we're after something more than that as Christians. We want to get to the heart. So that, that's, that's a key word, the heart. And that really gets to the heart of the difference between just behavior modification and gospel-centered parenting. The values of honesty, integrity, kindness, gentleness, self-respect, let your yes be yes, your no be no, return telephone calls, shine your shoes. All of these things, of course, can be taught. The military have learned how to do these things without the regenerating grace of God. But we daren't um, think that our job is finished if they have laid hold of certain of these externals and we just raise a child in natural virtue. Because what we long for is for our children to lay hold of the precious promises of God, the first and most wonderful being, you know, that I will be your God and you will be my child, and this is the way. My older son was four and my younger son was two. I had gone out of the room for, you know, 22 seconds. And I heard from the other room just, you know, the scream where you know something's horrible. I run back into the room, my four-year-old sitting on my two-year-old, just pummeling him, straddles him in between his legs, just pounding him. On my four-year-old's back is a big bite mark. It's bleeding. And immediately I go over to my four-year-old and I give him the law. I tell him, you have to love your brother. And he looked at me and just crying and angry, I can't. And then I say to him, right, you need Jesus. So the point of the law, the point of godly character traits isn't to make your kids good. It can't, it won't. The point of the law is to show them how desperate they are for a savior. It's so easy to just want to just shape their behavior <laughs> and just to say, you know, oh, just stop, you know, just to stop or because I want to look good <laughs> in front of other people. But ultimately, I do want their heart to be formed in terms of like, I want to obey God because it's in my heart to obey God. I want to honor him. If we don't aim for the heart, somebody said we can raise little Pharisees yeah. where externally they look great but their hearts are in chaos. Our hope and our desires that that would aim at the heart and help them see, we just don't want you to be a good kid. We want you to love Jesus. We had five video clips of five different whatever parents or dads or moms and just they said the same thing. Every single one of them. And if there's anything I want to get within you parents, it's the same thing. Our goal in parenting is not behavior modification. Our, our, the aim of our parenting is not morality. The aim of our parenting is heart transformation. The aim of our parenting is godliness. See, it, it's God's word in the heart that makes the impact. And that's where we need to aim because when our, our children deviate from this, we need, to, we need to aim them back to the heart. You know, oftentimes it's uh, interesting. I remember Ted Tripp hearing this illustration from him. I haven't carried it out really well in my, my parenting, but two children are arguing over a toy. And so a mom comes in and sees this, and what's the first question they ask? They say, what? Well, who had it first? All of a sudden, justice becomes the issue where that's just dealing on the externals, whereas love should be the, the heart. What, you want this toy? You want this toy? Both of you have selfish hearts. 
and, and, and heart-focused parenting will get at addressing the hearts of the matter. And I think one of the things then that's a challenge about when, when children deviate from this, right? We need to bring them back. And how do we bring them back? Well, we bring them back by something we call discipline. It's allowing us to, to shape the character of our children. Now, when, this is, when children are young, it's physically done. But as they get older, it's done verbally. And the reason is because a two-year-old, you can't reason with one. You can't reason with a two-year-old. They need some, some physical alertness, right? Whoa, whoa, that was wrong. But you can't spank an 18-year-old. That doesn't work either. They're stronger than you are, right? These guys up here going to college are bigger than I am. That's our stronger than I am. So maybe I can take you. We ought to wrestle today. I'm not sure. <laughs> but it doesn't work. But see, there's transition from, from physical discipline, verbal discipline, and then eventually they... They, they change and they, they transition. And, and during this transition, it's hard to know. Like one of the most difficult things in, um, in parenting is to know exactly how is it that, that I should discipline? What should I do? How should I respond? How should I bring some pain into the situation? They might be, be changed, reformed, and be taught what is good and bad. And, and, you know, the art of parenting does a great job of really talking about a bunch of different characteristics and things, um, how to how to discern that and help that for kids of all ages, not only small, but also big as well. But look over, your Bibles are open in Ephesians 5. Look over Ephesians 6. This, by the way, is one of two verses in the New Testament that expressly address the issue of parenting. By the way, there's not a lot in the New Testament that does this. And, and one of the reasons you say is, well, the New Testament doesn't talk very much about parenting. Or you can say, no, the New Testament talks about parenting all over the place as it talks about proper Christian living. We apply it to parenting. But here it is. Fathers, Ephesians 6.4, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here the verse gives us two means of training our children. The first is corrective and the second is instructive. One is proactive and the other is reactive. One is formative discipleship and the other is responsive discipleship. And, and, and those two things mix. It's the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's, it's, it's correcting, it's bringing, but it's also instructing and building right and to build them up. Don't ever think they're exclusive. The best discipline takes place as we teach and instruct our children in the context of a disciplined relationship. And here's, here's a story I just share. There's, there's, a, there's a, a good section here about thinking about how to, how to discipline children. I just bring up one story of Dennis and Barbara Rainey. A lot just to show you kind of a different genre. Again, from humor to children talking about things to this montage, this movies. Here's a different genre. Just talking about Dennis and Barbara Rainey sharing about this experience they had with their children and how they, they sought to discipline the situation. So. You know, just looking over your shoulder, seeing that uh, that window. Remember the date you and I had? Yeah, sure do. We uh, told the kids, told them to stay in the kitchen and not watch TV, but do their homework. And if they finished their homework, they could go read a good book. But uh, something told me at the top of the hill up here as we're coming back up from our date to turn off 
the lights of the car and come in stealth. It was one of those great moments, wasn't it? It was. So we pulled in here, lights off, snuck out of the car, walked up in front of that window right there, and we stood in front of the window. In fact, you saw the blue light before I did from the TV. Yeah, coming out of the window, we could see the blue light. So we knew they were watching TV. So we walked up real quietly to the window, and we looked in, and sure enough, there they were. The youngest was like this on the counter with her feet up, watching the TV, <laughs> staring at it, oblivious. The other one was over on the on a stool with her arm on the counter, both of them glued to the television set, which was strictly against the rules for that evening. It was. So I told you, you stay right here in front of the window, and I'll get my keys out, kind of, you know, jiggle them in the back door, and I'll come in back that, and let's watch what happens. What happens. And so sure enough, I went back there, I came in the back door, walked into the kitchen, and the TV was off. Girls were just kind of hanging out, just kind of, you know, uh, acting innocent. Cool, real cool. Cool and innocent. <laughs> so I said, hey, your girls been watching any TV? No, no, Dad. You didn't. You told us not to. We wouldn't do that. So I said, girls, would you turn around and look out the window right there? And wave at your mom? And wave at your mom. We've been watching you watch TV for the last five minutes. And it was fantastic. They <laughs> the were, color just drained from their faces. That's right. Like, uh-oh. <laughs> so we decided to ground them. Yep, ground them for a month for all media, which was lovely in our house because it was quiet, no phones rang, and they were not on the computer. They weren't on any media for a month. Boundaries matter. Yeah. And enforcing boundaries matters even more. And one of the reasons that it was such a great victory for us is because we prayed often as parents that we would catch our kids making mistakes. We would catch them when they disobeyed because we wanted them to know the right way to do things. We wanted them to understand that boundaries were important. And I wanted them to know that God is always present. He's watching everything they say and everything they do. And I wanted that concept to be reinforced. So if they got caught, then we just said, you know, kids, we pray that we'll catch you. And they knew that there was a connection between our prayers and them being caught. The point is, as you develop character in children, you got to draw the boundaries. you got to explain that there will be discipline if you break them. And then you got to inspect what you expect. And you have to check up on them. And if they break the boundaries, you're not going to do it perfectly every time. But when you do catch them like we did, you got to make them feel it. It needs to be painful. Enough pain it gets their attention because in life, later on as an adult, the pain is even going to be more severe with greater consequences. Now, we don't need to be the sin police, all right? We don't need to be over our children all the time, seeking to catch them in their sin. But when we do, right, we need to see that and identify it and label it a sin, and we need to respond when you respond with grace, so children know, yes, that was wrong. I think one of the, the, the worst things when you say is, how dare you? If you knew the wickedness of your own heart, you wouldn't say that. You'd say, hey, listen, there's, there's a place where forgiveness can be found. It's the blood of Christ. And then just even thinking through how to, how to administer discipline. God does that perfectly with us. In Hebrews chapter 12, it speaks about how God loves his children and those whom he loves, he disciplines. And God is constantly bringing 
different things in our lives so as to correct us. We need to think about that, about parents, and how do we do that with our children when our children stray? Because this is the whole thing, right? We're aiming for the heart. We want their heart to be with God. And, and we all know that the, the, the sinfulness of our hearts will stray. But how is it that we then seek to understand how to respond and, and discipline? Now I encourage you to come to Art of Parenting. Come and learn and think through just how to respond to, to your children. And if there's anything I've learned over the years as a parent, it's path filled with ups and downs. Sometimes I've been engaged with my children, sometimes I'm not. There have been many failures. I'm far from a, a model parent. In fact, even in prepping this, Yvonne was making, Steve, don't, we're not perfect parents. Don't, don't, don't communicate that we're great parents. Because if anything, um, I've just seen our failures. But by God's grace, our children are, are doing well. Um, but you may be here this morning and children aren't doing well. Maybe, maybe you've messed up. Maybe there's been some ways you've sinned against your, your own children. And this is good about this art of parenting. You think about once your children are golden gone, well, you're kind of like, well, that's done. Um, but there's also, there's, there's a way to redeem that. And uh, I just want to close my message with this scene at the end of the movie, Like, like Arrows. And some of you have maybe seen this before, but it, it's, I think, really the only way to respond as a failed parent is the only way we respond to anything we fail at is one of, of repentance and seeking forgiveness from our, our children. And so here's a, here's a tender scene. I've not seen the movie, so I don't understand all the context, but you can, your guess is as good as mine about what exactly took place. Hey, you got a minute? I messed up. Um, I haven't been as involved in your life as I should have been. You have grown into a beautiful young woman. And somewhere along the way, I quit being your dad. You know, when you were little, I knew what to do. We would go get ice cream. I would just push you on the swing. Well, you said, higher, Daddy, higher. And then you stopped wanting to go to the park, you know? And I guess I just I started to think maybe my job was over. I was wrong. I was really wrong. You were on that sidewalk the other night. Because of me. I wasn't here for you. Will you forgive me? I'm so sorry. 
have something to say to you, too. Okay. Um, I'm sorry I snuck out with Mike. I knew that it was wrong. I just... It was nice to have a guy paying attention to me. Making me feel special. I know it caused you guys a lot of stress. Can you forgive me too? Of course. Buds. Buds. Pals. Pals. BFFs. Okay, nobody says that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what do they say now? Uh, I don't know, like, dudes. Dudes? <laughs> don't call me that. <laughs> Ice cream date? Okay. I have to check my calendar. I have to check your calendar? Yeah. Okay, pencil. <laughs> There's the gospel right there. There's hope in our, our darkest moments. Hope when things are messed up. There's forgiveness and reconciliation in Jesus. And parents, maybe you need to, to do that. Just seek to, seek to do that if you haven't, haven't done well. So let's pray. Father, I pray in your grace that you might help us at Rock Valley Bible Church to be better parents. Help us to aim for the heart. Help us to have strong marriages. God, I know all that comes by your grace. It comes not because we are, are good enough or strong enough or smart enough. God, it comes only because of your, um, your power and grace. And we pray your, your help upon us. God, And I, I pray that you might use this art of parenting time. God, really to... To help us further equip us to think about parenting and to think about what that means for our own lives and how we need to respond. And we're all in different situations. Some have no children, some have little children, some have mixed and some are gone, and some have uh, children who are, are away from the home, grown up, having children of their own. And so, Lord, whatever situation we're in, I pray you'd help us God, to encourage this in others. God, because we long for the children of our church, it is the future of the church, and, and I know that my heart as a pastor is to see church, see kids come from Rock Valley Bible Church, loving church and loving Christ and making an impact in the world and to be, be those who follow you and raise up another godly generation. And God, it's only by your grace, it's only by your, your strength. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So we look to you to build our houses because we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.